Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensah, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensah is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Everlasting Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear the word of God when we are alive. Lord, we ask for the ministration of your Holy Spirit, even as you open our eyes to truths in the scripture and encourage our lives to move in the direction of being like Jesus. Amen. There are over 3,000 individuals mentioned by name in the Bible. It just means that most of the Bible is people. So, God's message to mankind is through human beings like us. God must have loved people because he created so many. So many have disappointed him. Still, he is sending many. 7.1 billion people. Certainly, his hands must be full. Each time some die, new ones are born. But it is important to notice that Romans chapter 15 verse 4 declares that the things that have been written before time were not written for the people in the Bible. They were written for our learning. Certainly if you get to heaven and you meet Obadiah, he says, oh, I'm sure my book helped you. And you said, "Uh, Obadiah, where is it? Then he will certainly call Zechariah and say, Zechariah, come, come, come. Come see somebody who my book did not bless. And you will become a sight. Because I'm sure Haggai will come in. Yes. And intercede. And First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11 tell us the same thing. He says that the things which happened to the people in the wilderness happened to them as examples. And they have been written so that we will not be condemned to making the same mistakes they made. 1 Corinthians 10. Yes. Let's read verse 6 and verse 11. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our heart on evil things as they did. And verse 11 says, These things happened to them as examples 
and were written down as warnings for us, for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. What a pity if all the trouble God took to preserve the Bible for you did not benefit you. But there are four important reasons why the study of Bible characters is critical in your work with God. The very first one is that God is the same. The God of the Bible is the same God. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, he says, I the Lord, I change not. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Hebrews 9 14 says, the eternal spirit, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ does not change. In fact, Romans 2.11 says, not only does he not change, he is no respecter of persons. So, it means that you are not dealing with a new God, a new deity, a God from your village in Tapa Abotuasi. That, that's not what you are dealing with. You are dealing with the ancient God of the Bible. Therefore, the way he dealt with people in the Bible should serve as a touch to open your eyes to see that he will deal with you the same way. Number two is that fallen human nature remains the same. Fallen human nature remains the same. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. You know, there is no new temptation on this earth. Are you tempted to pornography? David was. When he saw Bathsheba, he, for a moment, he forgot God. You know? Therefore, it's not a new thing you are bringing when you say, oh, for me, my problem is pornography. That is not a new thing. So, sinful nature, the nature of man is the same. Is the same. The temptation of Adam in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 was that the fruit was required to make one wise. It was beautiful to their eyes and it was good as food. The same temptation was given to Jesus. And First John 2, 15 to 17 says, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Anyone who loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Because the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is the same. So you better pay attention to the weaknesses, the strengths, and the pitfalls and problems of the people in the Bible because you are no different. You know, sometimes when you are a youth, you think you are coming to change the world. And that as you grow, the sun will rather rise from the west. And that you are able to control rainy season and, and, and you know, some of the youth tell me that for me, I'm a night person. You know, I sleep during the day and I wake up. You take that when you start working at the bank. <laughs> tell them that, you know, so, you, you are not bringing anything new into the world. And number three is that 
the same devil who was there in times past from Garden of Eden is around today. First Peter 5 8, it says, Your adversary, the devil, is going around like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. Be sober, be vigilant, resist him steadfastly in the faith. He's the same devil. He tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted Jesus, he will tempt you. So it is in your interest to read the Bible carefully. The fourth reason why character Bible study is critical is because the revelation of God to man and through man is best seen in his dealings with individuals. Moses' experience of the glory of God is something you cannot buy with money. It's, you know, it's, wow, Isaiah, his encounter with God. You mention it, the book of Revelations. Individuals who have walked with God and have encountered God and lived for God have had experiences that have been recorded in such a way that you can never buy that with money. It's revelation. And it's in your interest to pay attention to these ones. And with that, we will take a look now at Elijah. Elijah, the man who confronted the whole nation. I want to break the, the message into three big blocks. First of all, I want to talk about first impressions when we meet Elijah. Secondly, I want us to discuss for me the seven most important character traits that Elijah highlights. And then finally, I want us to zero on the biggest lessons we can bring out from the life of Elijah. So, number one, let's look at first impressions. The Bible rudely introduces Elijah to us. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, you see that here is a man who appears center stage without father or mother. We don't know anything about his early life. We, are, we just see him an, as an adult. And the Bible offers no apologies. First King chapter 17 verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Now, my first impression is that God forms his most important people in secret. God 
has a way of training, building, refining, grooming his most important vessels in secret. Because we are not told there is nowhere Elijah's father is mentioned in the Bible. Elijah's mother is not mentioned. What school did he attend? His childhood, his playmates. We are just not told because the Bible did not consider it important. He does the same with Moses. Exodus chapter 2 is spent on the first 80 years of Moses. And in chapter 3, he is called. And from Exodus chapter 3, all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 34, he is the main character. But 80 years of his life is obscurity. 40 in Pharaoh's house, but not much is told us. And another 40 in the wilderness of Midian and not much is told us. Look at Jesus Christ. At 30, when he began preaching, even the people in his hometown said, ah, uh-huh, ah, what is happening? Well, am I believing my eyes? Now, many of us want to be on center stage you know, you see young people, pastors these days, they've taken pictures, you know, and made big billboards so that they can be seen. You see, you need to watch the God you are serving. You need to take a look at him. You need to find out how he forms his men before introducing them. Elijah. Elijah. But look at him. He went and stood before the king of Israel and said, you know what? There will be neither dew nor rain for these years until by my word. And he locked heaven and put the key in his back pocket and left. What? What courage? What boldness? What audacity? What fearlessness? What authority? Who is he at all? But the God that Israel was worshipping at that time, Baal, was the God of fertility. Responsible for rain, for dew, for lightning, for procreation, and for fertility. Just a God to be worshipped so that you have abundance and harvest. So, his confrontation for three and a half years, not only will there be no rain, but that there will not be dew. For me, the dew is even more important than the rain. If there will be no dew, or rain until I come and speak again. He is directly confronting the idol they are worshipping. It is clear from that passage that we have a man here who is passionate for God. 
who is concerned about God, who is prepared to stand alone and stick out his neck for better, for worse, for God. And that's what you find out about Elijah from beginning to end. He confronts. He is so jealous for God that he is prepared to stand up against kings, against nations, against priests and false prophets, against anybody for the sake of his God. And the average Christian today has Koshoko. You know, because the power to stand up for what you believe is just not there. I don't know where it has gone. You see, last time I went through busy Heathrow Airport and there was this Muslim girl serving tea and she was in her Mayafi comfortably, dressed as a Muslim with all the veil in place at Heathrow Airport. Where do they get this person from? Inner strength from that our boys and girls cannot, they just don't have it. They just don't have it. Where did they get it from? You see? Because to preach in a trotro, you need strong inner man. Because you say you have the truth, but you can't tell your third person because you, you are afraid. That department of yours, you don't preach to anybody because you are afraid. You are afraid. That's it. You see? You have been using wisdom until now. It is fear. At first you said, oh, I wanted a good time. It's not good time. It's, it's that you don't have the boldness, the courage in your inner man. You, you don't have it. This is it. And it is not only preaching to people. It's just daring to be different. Because of what you believe. I like James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Because it brings a big insight into Elijah. Let's read it. James 5, 16 to 18. He reveals that it actually wasn't God who told Elijah to go and say that there will be no rain. James chapter 5 verse 16 ah, okay. 16 to 18 to 18. Yes. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Hmm. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. I I like that. Elijah was a human being, a man of like passion, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Why, Why do you think James would give such a preface that Elijah was a human being just as we are. Who, who, let's share ideas. Why, why do you think James would say such a thing? Before saying he prayed earnestly that 
it, it would not rain. No, don't be afraid. Yes. Um, so that we also know that we are capable of doing what Elijah did. It's, don't, don't, it's not a, a, a question to trick you and make you fall. <laughs> He's saying Elijah was a human being even as we are because everything you read about Elijah you can do. Touch your friend lightly. Tell the person you can do what Elijah did. And you two respond by saying, do you believe? <laughs> you see, the problem here is that he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It was not the word of the Lord which came to Elijah saying, go tell Ahab it will not rain. No. It was Elijah's initiative to go. And he prayed earnestly that it would work. And he went ahead and did it. You can see that from chapter 18 also. We are not reading it, but God told him that go show yourself to Ahab today. I will send rain. Then, you know what he did? He went and told the people that we are going to have a fire contest. God didn't tell him anything about fire. The fire he brought down was not at the command of God. It was at the initiative of Elijah. So, for me, that's the second big thing I see about Elijah. I see him, someone who exercises a faith and trust in God that puts me to shame. I ask myself, how, 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 where did he get this from? You know? Because the whole background of Israel was idolatry. And when the division in the kingdom came, Judah had the temple and the priests. So all the God-fearing people and the Levites who were living in the kingdom of Israel, they all left their lands and possessions and went to the kingdom of Judah. So this place was filled with idolatrous kings. Not a single king in the whole northern kingdom was godly until they were deported. So Elijah had no church with people preaching to you like this. Elijah had no church. Anyway, let's look at the... Oh, did you finish? No. Sorry. Verse 18. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Mm. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I, I am excited that a man like me can pray and lock heaven in. There will be no dew, no rain for three and a half years. And then he will pray again. And heaven will give forth rain. Tell yourself, I can pray. And have results. I don't need to go to TB Joshua. I, I don't need a prophet. 
I can pray and get results. How many people believe that? Wow. I believe you believe. <laughs> you see? And, okay, let's go to the First Kings 17 verse 2. I'm just trying to give you my first impressions. First Kings 17 verse 2. Yes. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, mm-hmm. turn eastward and hide in the carried raven east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he now, did what the Lord had told him. Now look again. Now... The word of the Lord came. Many times we want God to tell us, get up. Let me get up. Brush your teeth. Let me brush your teeth. Put on a shirt. Put on a shirt. Now, walk out. Walk out. Preach to your workmate at the office. You preach. We, that's our understanding of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit hasn't told me to preach to anybody. That's why I haven't preached. I was waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell me to have my quiet time. He didn't tell me. That's why I have not had my quiet time today. You see? Then, uh, your, uh, why did he give you brains? Is your head on your shoulders for decoration? So, when Elijah stood up and did that, God stepped in. He said, okay, now you know what? I'll show you. You go and hide here. There are times when even men of God, God wants you to hide. You are not always to be on the poster, in the, on the mic, and everywhere you go. No, there are times when you must hide. Even God hides people. But Jesus was taken to Egypt. He was hidden there. Even coming back to live in Nazareth was a hiding. So, there are times in our lives when God says, I am hiding you. I don't want you to be on center stage. And we find it so difficult. We wrestle, we struggle. We, oh, you know, I remember when I was uh, a young pastor. In the night, I'll pray. I'll pray. I say, God, use me, use me. Then one day I prayed until I was tired. And I came and sat down in front of the house. And I dozed. And I had a revelation. You know, my prayer had been that you say that no man lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. No man lights. And God said, if you are lighting a lamp, you haven't finished. Do you put it on the lampstand? And I shut up. There are certain things about you. If God introduces you now to the world market, you will fail successfully. You see, he hasn't finished working on you. There are things he needs to do. He took Jesus 30 years to be out there. Three and a half years of ministry, he was gone. But he said it is finished. 30 years preparation for a three and a half year ministry. 
Look at Moses. 80-year preparation for a 40-year ministry. And it's normal. If he did it for his son, Jesus, what about you? We are in too much of a hurry. So the preparation stage, we don't give God chance at all. You are half-dressed, but you want to be on stage. And it makes it sad that we don't even allow God to work on our lives. The refining process where God will sit upon you. He took Israel 40 years through the wilderness. He said to test you to know what was in your heart so that I can do you good in the end. Why? Because even you yourself, as you sit here now, you don't know what is in your heart. Certain things must happen to you before you discover for the first time that you are like this. Peter told Jesus that you don't know the kind of guy you are hanging around with. You don't know. I'm a tough man's tough man. All these guys, they can chicken. But not me. You are talking to Pira. <laughs> you see? So it was after he denied Jesus three times before the maid. And Jesus turned and looked at him. That he, he went and wept. For the first time, he knew himself. Look, as you sit here now, if today you are made head of department in one of these departments, you will be shocked at the evil in your heart. You used to blame the head of department. You will do worse. Because there are some things in you which you won't believe until God passes you through the meal. Then the things come out. And you are like, gee, Charlie, I didn't know I was like that. This is why the refining process is important. And this is why there are times when you must hide. And God will tell you, go and hide. But another thing too that comes out is that God's provision in your life is where he wants you to be. You see, he told uh, Elijah, leave here. Turn eastward. Hide in the carried ravine. Because I have commanded the ravens to feed you. There, if you go there, my ravens will feed you. And when Elijah obeyed and went there, morning, evening, the most unlikely miracle happened. A raven is an unclean bird in the Bible. Two, it is given to eating flesh, meat. You know, raven is the last animal to ask to bring meat to a, a man of God. Because when Noah released the raven after the flood, and it saw all those dead animals, it didn't come back. It didn't come back. But God said, I have commanded a raven, the raven, to feed you there. And when Elijah went there, the ravens came morning and evening with provision. There are certain places in your life God's direction is get here, I will provide for you. As long as you are disobedient, you will be in a dry land. But you move to where God is saying you should go. Then the supplies will come day and night, morning and evening. And when the brook dried, he said, rise up. Go to Zarephath, near Zidon. I have commanded a widow woman there. 
to feed you. Interesting. Because Jezebel is from Zidon. So the most unlikely place they will search for Elijah will be in those territories. And when you go, why not a rich woman? Eh? A widow with an only son gathering a few sticks so that they will just eat and go and die. Why, why that? But that's the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. He, he specializes in giving commands and making provision where you least expect. He knows that when people are searching for Jesus, they won't search for him in a manger. That's why Jesus came in a manger. So, this widow, immediately Elijah said, please, can you get me a cup of water? And the woman said, oh my Lord. Okay. And as she was going, he said, oh please, can you bring a little tatani? She said, oh, I beg you. I beg you. Did you what was I doing when you came? Gathering a few sticks. And any woman knows that when you don't have a big meat to cook, you don't gather a lot of firewood. I just I was gathering a few sticks to just prepare the flour and oil that is left. And then we eat, say our final prayers, and that's it. Elijah said, Hey, then you are the woman. You are the woman going to feed a stout man like me. You know? Go and prepare the food like you said, but give to me first. Everybody said, no, 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 no. This man of God is wicked. Ah, no, 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 no. But the salvation of the woman and the salvation of Elijah was hidden in that command. God has provision for everybody in this life if we will only obey him and go to where he wants us to be. Just go there and be there for him. He will provide at that place. And another interesting episode is when Elijah was there, every day food was coming. The same food. You know, Israelites were complaining about manna. But Elijah didn't complain about the fact that he had to eat the same meal. I don't know. You, you like rice, but rice in the morning, rice in the afternoon, rice in the evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. One month, two months, three months, four months, five, six, one year, two years, rice. And even if they were varying the stew, I don't mind. Because they will do kotomri today, and then the next day is agushi, and then probably, you know. But this one, the same. The same. The same. You know how God humbles us? There are certain provisions of his. He never gives a luxury. And it can be throughout your life. He might choose that your rent, this is the way it's going to be. Your accommodation issues, your education, your marriage, 
He, he can give you something and you yourself, you turn like this and you say, oh, manna, manna. We are tired and sick of this. And you say, ah, is that what, is that what you really think? You know? And many of us find ourselves rebelling. Because you, you, you look at other people and say, what have I done? What have I done? Only me. Oh. He's, you know, he wants to test you. And the only way he can do it is put you in a situation where all other things will be stable for him to see what is in your heart. That's all. And he does it to every child of his. You are not the first one. You are not the last one. You didn't bring Jesus into this world. You would die and leave him behind. So because of that, there is no way you are going to frustrate him. Okay. Now, they were going on this way and everything was smooth. Then, boom! The woman's child dies. And the woman, I like the way she talked. She said, look, man of God, what, what have I done? Why have you come to bring all my sins to, to the surface? What have I done? Eh? This child, you have come to to kill. And Elijah said, bring me the dead, dead child. And he carried the child into his room. And said, God, if you are looking for people to kill all around the world, is this the woman who is feeding me every day? You won't see anybody to kill. Just, my dad, please, let, let the child life come back. I don't want trouble. Then he lay on the child. Got up. Lay on the child got up and the child came back alive. Gave the child back to the mother. Oh, man of God. Now I know that the word in your mouth is truth. You know, sometimes we, we all tremble when calamity strikes. The whole book of Job is a godly man laboring to understand how bad things can happen to good people. You see, you ask yourself, why? Of all people in the world, the woman who you commanded to feed me, and she's doing a good job. Look at, she, look at her faith and sacrifice. And then you don't know who to kill in the world except what? It's true. It's very true. Bad things can happen to good people. And the scripture explains that. The result was that the woman's faith was strengthened when the child was brought back to life. I want to stop my first impressions there and talk about the seven most critical things I see from the life of Elijah. Normally when you study a Bible character. There are certain things about him that shine more than any other thing. And we all can have our own differences. But in compiling the list, we should have roughly the same list. For me, 
the first and the most important character trait I see about Elijah is persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. You remember in raising the dead child of this woman. If he had lain only once on the child, the child would not have come back to life. The repeated dose of prayer brought back the child. Then, you remember First uh, Kings chapter 18 from verse 41 to 46. God told Elijah, go and show yourself to Ahab, I will give rain. And here was Elijah. He went to the top of Mount Camel, put his head between his knees and cried to God for rain and told the servant, go and check whether there is any cloud. The servant went and said, there is nothing. Then he went and prayed again. The servant went and said, there is nothing. Then he went and prayed seven times. And the seventh time, he said, hey, I see a cloud like a man's fist rising. Said, yeah. Tell Ahab to hitch his chariot and run because the rain is coming. I see in Elijah this type of never giving up prayer life which is I mean it's it's so exciting he was a man like you James chapter 4 verse 8 says draw near to God and he will draw near to you there is a way in which in this our age and time we are all so busy that Prayer is something we have put on our shirt sleeves and like somebody said, you've written your prayer list and pasted it on the wall beside your bed. So when you're about to jump into bed, you say, God, you see, as usual, as usual, you know, but this prayer engagement is such that you have a God who has promised that you should ask, he will give you. You should seek, you will find. Knock, it shall be given to you. And how Elijah managed to take hold of that, I don't know. But he was a man of prayer. And he prays earnestly. And he prays. And he prays. And he cries. He's a man of like passion, like you and me. And he gets God's attention. That's number one, I've noticed. Number two, I've noticed about Elijah is faith. Faith. I am excited that here is a man who can tell, you know, the prophets of Baal that, look, you, take one bull, cry to your God, let him bring fire. And they do ah, from morning till after lunch. There's nothing. Cutting themselves and all jumping and all. Morocco, Morocco. Nothing. Then he came. And he brought the 12 stones on the, of the altar and digs a trench and says, please, water. Pour water on the firewood. And everybody's like, wait a minute. Are you calling fire or crazy? What, what are you talking about? 
say more water more water making it more difficult for God even to answer you see more water more water even if it's God who told you that go and bring fire will you add water even if it is God now it's not God you are doing the thing and then it said more bring more until the firewood the, the whole place was water and oh God and his prayer was simple said God I just want you to show these people that I'm not doing this thing by my own you sent me and boom and the fire fell here is a man who can trust God that when you call upon him and believe him and take a step on the promises he has given he will answer he will answer he will answer we live in an age which is so godless that even when you are exercising faith you are ashamed you see one sister came and told me that oh I'm pregnant and whenever I go anywhere my friends ask me which sex have you asked God for and I said, oh, the will of the Lord. He said, no, no, no. You should decree the, the sex of the child. And so she asked me. And I said, oh, me? I told God he gave me all girls. I said, if he gave me more girls too, I will take them and bless it. He knows the work he wants me to do for him. So I didn't continue having children because I didn't have a boy. But this is it. It's just a question of entering into a time when we can believe that there is a God whose hand rules in the affairs of men. And he governs heaven. And on earth, the Osama bin Ladens and the homosexuals and the Al-Shababs and Al-Qaeda, Boko Harams, they don't threaten him. They may threaten men, but not him. And number three thing I notice about Elijah is his hunger and thirst for God himself. You remember that after he ate the food in First Kings chapter 19, he walked in the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights. That's almost 200 miles. You know, he walked almost 200 miles. And all that was just because he wanted to hear God. To hear the still, small voice. And when he heard it, he came back. That's all. I am excited. You see, one of the things which my, my, has been my struggle as a human being is, I want to hear God clearly for myself. See, when someone tells me that this is what the Lord is saying about you, I hear, oh, but I want to hear him for myself. I want, you see, if God says, marry this brother, and he told you yourself, it's, it's different, is it not? But if it is Prophet Achumanase who has to tell you that marry this brother, the Lord says marry this brother, then you see, I'm also a child of God. I, I want to hear him. I want to hear him for myself. I want to hear that still small voice. I want to be sure that is God speaking to me, myself. 
want him for myself. And that's what Elijah got. He paid the price for it, but he got it. Number four, Elijah was a man of the spirit. He began a long line of prophets in Israel that when Jesus came, at least five different occasions, his name came up. You know, John chapter 1 from 21 to 25, we are told that they went to John the Baptist and said, are you Elijah? Then, secondly, at the Caesarea Philippi interrogation, he was asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? Some were saying, they say you are Elijah. Then, the transfiguration, Elijah was there. When Jesus was on the cross, and he said, Eli, Eli, Lamar, Sabbathani, he said, he's calling Elijah. You see, Elijah, Elijah, he made a mark because he was a man of the spirit. He made a mark. You could see that words of knowledge, working of miracles, raising the dead, you know, using his cloak to pass the Jordan, calling down fire from heaven. All those things were things came by him. And number five is that we can see in Elijah somebody who had an flagging zeal for God. There is something about zeal. It's a fire in you which makes you stick out your neck for God. Jesus came people in the temple and they said, zeal for your house has consumed me. There is something about it and the gospel and church and the cause of Christ only moves forward when there are men and women of zeal around the place. They push the thing forward. They carry the ball to score goals. They may make mistakes if it's zeal without knowledge. But it's better to have zeal without knowledge and do something than be lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And he, he did something. Number six about Elijah is that you can see he was an obedient person. Because when God told him, go and hide, he went and hid. When he said, go to uh, Zarephath, he went to Zarephath. When God told him that, go, show yourself to Ahab, I'm bringing rain, he went and did it. Even after Jezebel tried to kill him and he ran away, God said, go and show yourself to Ahab. He said, you, he went. He was obedient. And the obedience released the miracles in his life. That's number six. Number seven that I noticed about Elijah is I am grateful to God for the fact that here for once we have a man who finished well. You see? Look at Samson. How he finished. Even Moses himself. How he finished. But look at Elijah. He finished well. He finished well. He had his problems. And I don't intend to dwell on them. The way he was afraid of Jezebel and the way that man of God ran. And you see, and he got into depression because he said, God, kill me. I, the, I am the only person left now. They want to kill all of us and it's no use. Kill me. Let me die. That's all I want from you now. This is my prayer request. You see, 
he became so discouraged that he wanted to die. It's true. But his hunger for God, when he met God in the still small voice, he picked himself up and finished well. Well, in how many ways do we see him like Jesus? Plenty, plenty. You know, Elijah looks very much like Jesus in many ways. He was not married. Jesus was not married. Yes. He was persecuted. Jesus was persecuted. He was a man of the spirit. Jesus was a man of the spirit. So, he raised the dead. Jesus raised the dead. He did miracles. And he had word of knowledge. Jesus had word of knowledge. But there are places he was different from Jesus. He brought down fire from heaven to destroy those captains and they are 50 uh, in 2 Kings chapter 1 and Jesus' disciples tried to do it and he rebuked them. That you don't know of what spirit you are of. The son of man is not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. The second weakness we see in the life of Elijah is his I walk alone lifestyle. You see, he was so convinced that he was the only person serving God until God told him, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee and you need to know about those people. I like God's message to him. He, if not for God telling him about Elisha, he would have ended up in a ministry that left nothing beyond him. Like Elisha did. But one big lesson I learned from that is that God's ministry, God's plans go beyond you and me. He told him that, Lucy, you want to die. I want you to go and anoint Hazael, king of Syria. Go and anoint Jehu, king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, prophet, in your place. And he went, out of those three things, he did only one. He anointed Elisha. But God took him to heaven because Elisha would handle the Hazel and the Jehu anointing. God wants to do things which go beyond your death. Many times our minds just see ourselves. This is the reason we don't make disciples. But Elijah is one of the best examples of mentoring and discipling in the whole Old Testament because he left somebody behind with a double portion of the spirit upon his life. When you finally die, will there be somebody carrying your ministry and anointing forward? Elijah was a man like us in every way. And his story is in the Bible because God wants us to learn from it. He had his weaknesses, but at the transfiguration, you can see that he appeared with Moses. Each of those three people has had a 40-day fast before. They have all been on mountains. They know what it means to search for God. And even as we pray, I want you first of all to ask God for a prayer life that measures with that of Elijah and Jesus. Ask for a, a, a greater increase in your faith. 
the level of faith you are exercising now. Pray to God and ask him to give you a greater measure of faith that you can see and get more things from God. Yes. And talk to the Lord. Talk to him. Pray for for a life which is filled with the spirit of God. And be somebody who can be called for obedience. That you are obedient to God and to death. Even death on the cross. Pray. Ask God that it will not just be a study just looking at Elijah. But that where God's provision is, you will be able to get there and be there. Pray that the hunger and thirst, that drive, which will make you search for God until you hear the still small voice and know that this is God speaking to me. That that drive, that drive, that hunger will fill your life. So that everywhere you are, people can see a desperation to meet God where he is. And pray, pray, talk to the Lord and ask him, ask him to give you grace, to give you grace so that you will make disciples, you will be fruitful, you will have people who carry on the ministry, the work after your death. Pray that God will give you Elishas. Yes, he will give you Joshua's. He will give you Timothy's in your life. People you are mentoring, people you are discipling, people you are training, people you are building, so that long after you are dead, there will be people carrying that anointing of God upon your life. Follow JFK Men's Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.